Awakens, awakens me. 
Amen. Well, good morning. I would also like to welcome you on this Mother's Day to the Eau Claire Wesleyan Church. Please take a moment, greet someone you haven't seen in a while. standing as you're in. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day It's yours, it's yours, all yours. 
nothing but the blood of Jesus can guard me on every side from all arrows and lies. Oh, nothing but the sweet blood of Jesus can stake claim over me. This is probably the first Mother's Day in how many, five years, six years, maybe longer, that eight, eight they know, <laughs> that our daughters are here with us, with mom. So, Brianna, Brittany, who you know, and Brianna, who some of you know. So, anyway, thanks for coming home. It's about time. So, <laughs> it's all good. Mother's Day. What is motherhood all about? Here are some of the signs that have now arrived as a mother. This was written by Susan Friday, that there are some signs that you have reached motherhood. You know you're a mother when you eat dinner on Sesame Street decorated placemats. You know you're a mother when you catch yourself singing a cartoon theme song in public. Or you stop tears by taping broken crayons back together. 
You know you're a mother when you long for nothing more than a good night's sleep. And you buy jelly according to the characters on the jar. You know the best way to scrape dried Cheerios off the floor. And you know you're a mother when you never have to buy another Christmas ornament. You share the storage closet with a miniature broom and vacuum cleaner. You take phone messages in crayon. You know you're a mother when you buy the Sam's Club big pack of batteries, but you can never find one when you need one. You know that you're a mother when you find yourself cutting your spouse's meat into bite-sized pieces. During bedtime prayers one night, a mother was talking to her six-year-old daughter, Michelle, about God. She said, Daddy is your father on earth, and God is your father in heaven. Michelle thought a bit and asked, Who is God's wife? Mom smiled and said, God doesn't have a wife. She quickly asked, But where's the woman who gets everything done? (laughs) Kids say the craziest things, and usually it's mom that gets to hear them said. Today is Mother's Day, a day to honor mothers and motherhood. What makes a woman a mother? Cooking meals, cleaning messes, changing diapers, feeding the baby? providing taxi service for dance lessons, soccer practice, baseball games, piano lessons, or modeling class. We have soccer moms, mothers of preschoolers, mothers of teenagers, mothers helping their daughters getting ready for prom or their wedding, mothers counseling their sons through the trauma of a broken romance. How much is motherhood worth anyway? There was a report published on salary.com that calculated the price of a mom in economic terms. This report assigns a salary to a stay-at-home mom based on the jobs that she does in a normal work week. They include 10 jobs that moms do on an average day. Housekeeper, daycare center teacher, cook, computer operator, laundry machine operator, custodian, facilities manager, van driver, CEO, and psychologist. At the date of this report, the price of a mom was estimated to be about $138,000 a year. This included working an average of 52 hours of overtime or a 92-hour work week. Those that work full-time outside the home would typically earn about $86,000 above and beyond that what they take home from their full-time job. So turn to your husband and say, I deserve a raise. Go ahead. (laughs) Mothers. (laughs) What makes a woman a mother? Biologically speaking, a woman becomes a mother when she becomes pregnant and gives birth to a child. Or she may adopt a child or may become a foster parent. But motherhood is much more than just that. Motherhood is not something that can be taken for granted because not everyone gets the chance. Judy and I have friends for whom Mother's Day is is painful. It's a painful reminder that despite their longing to marry and be a mother or become pregnant, that goal has yet to be realized. Even in today's world of science and biological marvels, infertility prevents many from actually experiencing motherhood. Many women in previous generations were denied that special relationship of motherhood. They were unable to experience the most wonderful joy of all, being a mother. And today we're going to look at one woman's story. It was a journey that many can identify with. Her only and one and only hope and desire was to be a mother. And I'd like us to follow her on her journey as we look at the journey of Hannah. The text is 1 Samuel 1. 1 Samuel 1. The text will be on the projection as well. We're going to read the first 18 verses of 1 Samuel 1. There was a certain man from Rathayim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Joram and son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but 
Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and could not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I have been pouring my soul out to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and my grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Our story begins with Hannah, the main character in the story, experiencing something that all of us have experienced. Private pain. Roman numeral one. Private pain. Private pain is the hurt that we all experience in our innermost beings. It's in our hearts. It's hidden from the view of most. Private pain is too painful to share with anyone else. It's too humiliating. It's it's too embarrassing. There's no reason to talk about it because it's impossible to do anything about it. For Hannah, the pain was infertility. And only a woman can understand the the deep-seated longing to have a child. It's normal. It's God-given. It's a healthy desire. This pain started with unfulfilled desire. Her private pain was obvious to her, but no one else. God has given me this, this desire. Why would he leave me empty or unfulfilled? Private pain, hidden pain. And on top of the unfulfilled desire was the pain of harassment. Harassment, let her be. Because of her inability to have a child, adding to her private pain is harassment. Verse six, verses 6 and 7 say, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year till she wept. I mean, wow, pain, pain is bad enough when hidden, but when someone else constantly calls attention to it and harasses and abuses you for something beyond your control, that's unbearable. Then was humiliation. Humiliation. In this culture that we find Hannah, bearing a child was the same thing as living. If one could not have children, women were considered worthless, insignificant. Women in that day and culture had no other role. They didn't have the choice of marriage or career, children now or later. Children were their career, their role, their value and validation. Without children, a woman felt absolutely worthless. Today, we know the true value of women, quite apart from childbearing, but that was not the case back then. Private pain, no one truly understood. And Hannah's husband is totally clueless. Hannah, in pain, harassed, hurting so bad she can't eat. And Alkina says, 
aren't I worth more than all those kids? Clueless. I mean, what is this guy? A clueless. Get a clue. Private pain. Where are you today? What desire has God placed deep in your heart that is still unfulfilled? A healthy, wholesome, God-given desire. And you have this gnawing emptiness, a, a pain of unfulfilled desire. Your private pain may be what Hannah's was. It could be infertility. Or your private pain may be something totally different. A secret place of discouragement. An unanswered prayer. Hidden areas of of hurt. Wounds that no one else has seen. Maybe it's a God-given desire that remains that. Just a desire. For some parents, the source of pain may be that child or that relationship that's broken. Dashed dreams, harassment, humiliation. There's a real sense of desperation for Hannah. And out of her private pain comes number two, comes a desperate prayer, a desperate prayer. The text describes Hannah's state. In verse 10, it says, in bitterness of soul, One version says, greatly distressed. She wept much. She wept bitterly. Verse 16 says, in great anguish and grief. These were not nice, bless me prayers. There was an intensity. There was a desperation and anger and a bitterness about her prayer. These are prayers like we read in the book of Psalms. If you go through Psalms and you read some of those prayers that that David prayed, and you go, wow, why didn't God strike him dead? I mean, it's like... He said some things to God that you can't imagine people saying. Hannah was a desperate woman, and in her desperation, her prayers were intense. They were full of emotion. She was a tormented woman pouring out her soul to God. Desperate prayers. What was Hannah's request? First was, see me, see me. God, see my misery. See what I'm going through. No one else sees. No one else notices. No one else can understand. See me, God. Nobody knows. I want you, God, to see me. Then she says, remember me. Don't forget me. I'm sure that Hannah felt that God did not see her pain and God had forgotten her. Have you ever felt that way? See me. Just see me. Remember me. Maybe you've prayed to God that way. All throughout history, people have prayed prayers of desperation and pain to God. See my misery. See my pain. Don't forget me. And God did not strike him dead. One thing I learned a long time ago, God knows what I'm thinking. He will not be shocked if I put it into words and I'm still alive. It's a miracle for all of us. We can verbalize our feelings. He knows what they are. Verbalize them. Pour out your heart to God. And the third part of her prayer, two words very simply, use me. Use me. Say, give me a son. She tells God specifically what she wants. In this cry, give me a son, is a cry for significance. It's a cry for significance. This was a cry for God to do something of worth through her. God, use me. I feel useless. I feel worthless. I'm good for nothing. Do something with me. How many of us have that cry in our heart? We feel worthless or useless or unused or unusable. So we cry to God, use me. Do something with me. For some, the cry is obvious. For others of us, it's hidden. It's quiet. It's a desperate desire for significance. I need to know I matter. I need to know that I can make a difference. 
I need to know that I have a purpose in this world. This cry for significance is not just for the young seeking to make their way in life. It applies to those older, maybe recently retired, seeking what to do. It's for new parents and new grandparents, recently bereaved, those left without a spouse or family member. What am I on earth for? Why am I still here? It's got to be something greater beyond myself. God, use me. Fulfill the purpose for which I was created. Why was I created? Why am I here? The cry for significance. One of the greatest mysteries on earth is that we, as people, ordinary people, can pray and ask God and he answers. Especially prayers of desperation. He does that. Second Chronicles 7, 14 to 15 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. He will listen. God answers prayers of desperation, humility, and need. How desperate are we? We are just now, as we look at our world and look at our country, realizing the culmination of the sins of America, the desperate state we're in. How desperate are we? Will we pray? Hannah prayed a prayer of desperation, and then she put a vow on the end of it. She said, I will give this son back to you for your service. No razor will ever be used on his head. This was characteristic of someone who's going to be set aside for a full-time service to God. Full-time service. Did Hannah have to make that vow? Was she bargaining with God? If you do that, then I'll do this. Was God's answer dependent on this vow? No, no. Because of her private pain and desperate prayer through her hurt and despair, God is getting ready to do something great. Now Eli, the priest, observes her unusual behavior, her pouring out of emotion, pain so private she speaks without making sounds, thinks she's drunk. And she replies, I've not been pouring wine or beer into my body. I've been pouring out my soul to God. Conventional wisdom says we try to fill our painful lives. And that's the ties our pain with diversion, alcohol, or drugs. We try to salve our pain by taking things in. People take drugs, eat comfort foods, they drink, seek diversion or pleasure to cope with the pain. It doesn't work. The solution for our private pain is not to take something in, but to pour out that pain to God. Hannah said, I'm pouring out my soul to the Lord. Private pain, pour out your pain in desperate prayer to God. And as we pour it out, we give it to God, we let him have it, we let him carry the burden. We were not made to carry all that pain or store it up. Pour it out. Give it. Give it over to God. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A lot of us need rest for our souls today. Pouring that out to God. Well, out of private pain and out of this desperate prayer comes God's promise in verse 17. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. That that had an incredible impact on Hannah. Eli didn't even know what her request was. He just knew who God was. God's promise produced, first of all, hope. Hope. Out of faith, looking at God, a desperate prayer came a promise. And that promise produced hope. Hannah 
needed hope. She didn't see the answer yet. It was hope that was produced by faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hope for, do not see. Secondly, God's promise was an expression of God's favor. We see grace. Grace is unmerited favor. All answers to prayer are birthed in faith, granted by grace. All gifts are given to us by God. Grace. And God's promise produced joy. It says her face was no longer downcast. This promise, which she accepted by faith, granted by grace, changed her life. She had faith that God had heard, God had seen, and God would Answer, that produced joy. Her, her circumstances had not yet changed, but her heart had changed. Her countenance changed. Her hope and her faith brought joy that transcended her visible present circumstances. Do you need hope today? Anybody here need hope? My hand's up. We need hope. We need hope. God sees. God remembers. God hears. And God answers prayer. And then we see God's plan. Note, God is in control all the time here. It said in verse 5, the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, because the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 19, the Lord remembered her and she conceived and gave birth to a son. Verse 20, I asked the Lord for him. Verse 23, may the Lord make good his word. And Hannah brings her son Samuel at the end of this chapter to the Lord at Shiloh and gives him to Eli for service. Verse 27 says, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked him. Verse 28 So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah is thought to be the main character of this story. But the main character is really God. It's really God. What nobody knew at this point was the nation of Israel was soon going to be leaderless. Leaderless. Only God knew this. And God raised up a leader, a deliverer, a great man of God for all Israel, Samuel, all through the pain of one woman, an ordinary mother. Samuel was that son. And because of Samuel's life and his mission and ministry, we eventually had... King David. And you go through all of history, not only did we have King David, we had King Jesus. King Jesus. Salvation for all. We, right here in 2023, we are the recipients of that gift given to Hannah. An ordinary Hebrew mother who experienced pain, humiliation, desperation, and finally the fulfillment of a promise. Hannah not only gave her pain to God, she gave God her most precious precious possession, her son. She had no guarantee of other children when she did, but she did receive other children later. But before she knew that, she gave her only son. This may be a picture of what God and Jesus did for us because God gave his most precious possession, his only son. Deliverance through sacrifice, deliverance through pain. And you know, sometimes our source of pain and our source of joy are one and the same. What is God's plan for your life today? Through the pain and suffering of one mother, 
God raised up a mighty leader and deliverer. What is your private pain? What is your desperate prayer? What promise are you waiting for from God to give you out of his love and grace? God has a plan rooted deeply in his love for you and those you love. You're not alone. It says, and he worshiped the Lord there. Let's pray.
Yeah. 